0: Rural church
1: Podcast. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. He is honored, and I get the glory. And by the way, it's even better, because you see that building in Perryville, Arkansas? You see that one in Pachote,
0: Mexico? Do you see that one in Tuxla Guterres down there in Chiapas? That building has my son's name on it. The church is not a democracy. It's a monarch. Christ is king. You
2: can't be Christian without a local church. You can't do anything better than to bend your knee and bow your heart, turn from your sin and repentance, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and join up with a good Bible-believing church and spend your life serving Jesus in a local, visible congregation. Guess what, Edward? What's that? it's december it is december
0: i mean it's not technically december but it will be when people hear this but when people are listening to the sultry sound of your voice it will be december
2: yeah hopefully they've got
0: you know those beautiful christmas
2: tunes playing in their head
0: yeah i've been doing that since march hopefully they have the christmas tree up for two months now yeah, you've got your Christmas lights up. I've seen that on Facebook. Yeah, well, I hate to even admit this. At the time of this recording, I don't even have the tree up yet. So I got the one in my office. Hey, welcome to the Rule Church Podcast. I'm Alan Nelson with me is Eddie Ragsdale. And we are joined by a special guest this morning, Michael Clary. Say hello, Michael.
1: Hello, guys. How you doing?
0: We're doing good. Grateful to have you. What You got your tree up?
1: I do not. I'm 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 one of those heretics that would rather have the tree up after Thanksgiving.
0: We'll we'll allow that slide. What do you think, Ed? <laughs> That'll be all
2: right. We don't get ours up till after Thanksgiving either. But I have been listening to Christmas music for about a month already. My wife we would have, be in
1: agreement with you guys.
2: Yeah. Amen. Well, we,
0: we have a, a special reason that we have Michael on today. Before we get to that reason, uh why don't you just tell us a little bit about who is Michael Clary? Um
1: I was born and raised in West Virginia, Huntington, West Virginia, and ended up, uh, through various circumstances, planting a church, uh, in the opposite of where I grew up, which is uh, the middle of the city of Cincinnati, Ohio. But I grew up in, uh, on route 75, Wayne County, West Virginia, a rural area. Uh, but now I'm in the, you know, right in the middle of the urban core of Cincinnati, a uh, bit of a fish out of water in some ways, but, um, God called me here to plant a church 15 years ago, uh, 2008 is when I moved here, We gathered a core group for a year and a half. We launched a church in 2010 and, um, been here ever since. So we're church is called Christ, the King church. It's a Southern Baptist church. Um, and we're more on the Tom Askell founders wing of uh, the Southern Baptist convention. Uh, so, uh, reform patriarchal in my, my theology and, um, yeah, that's a got my wife Laura and I. We've been married for twenty four years. We've got four kids that are eighteen, seventeen, fifteen, and twelve. Are the ages so, of my four?
0: How? Well, like, were you eight when you got married, brother?
1: You <laughs> look young. I was. I was twenty four when I got married. I'm forty nine years old right now. The, um, I've been hearing lately that people don't believe me. I'm oh 49. wow!
0: <laughs> you know we. uh, we just, we recently renamed our church to Providence Baptist church. So it's Providence Baptist church. Christ is King. That's our, you know, tagline mm-hmm. because we almost, we kicked around Christ. Christ is King was going to be our, our name. Christ is King Baptist church. We were, we were thinking about that. So it's, that's nice. That's kind of neat to here. In fact, now that hearing you say that I've, I've heard that from you before, I believe. So that's, that's good
2: brother. Eddie, you got any follow-up questions there? so um so ha- what led you to c- Cincinnati of
1: uh... yeah that that's a great question so I I went to college at Marshall University in Huntington West Virginia some know it as the Harvard of West Virginia uh actually nobody does but uh that's just my <laughs> little joke <It's> just a <laughs> just a small state school in West Virginia um but I went to Marshall University and that's really where my faith took off I was you know, I was raised attending church regularly with my family, but, um, I got involved in campus crusade. They call it crew. Now, um, got involved in campus crusade crew at Marshall. And, uh, my faith just grew like crazy to the point where I was like, I want to, I want to do this, uh, with my life ended up joining the staff with crew and they assigned me to the university of Louisville. Mm. Um, so moved to Louisville. And while I was there, I started to, um, a couple things happened. There was, my heart for the church just really started to blossom. Um, my experience with campus ministry, I started to be a little bit, uh, I, I started to question, um, the, you know, the, the approach, uh, the, and whether or not I'm a good fit for the approach, certainly, but the approach itself, I had some, some questions about that. And I started to see, you know, the church really is God's plan, a for the world.
0: Amen. And then,
1: mm-hmm. uh, I've I've respected Southern Seminary and I was excited to go to Louisville because I, you know, I I wanted to take classes there, but I ended up taking classes at Southern Seminary. And meanwhile, I'm helping get involved with the church plant and the church plant there. They needed a worship leader. So I led worship for them. I was at the very first core group meeting and uh, led music uh, for them. I was there for about three years, but I helped them launch the church, helped them, you know, I'd meet with the staff and. Um, got kind of an insider's look. And so I'm going to art for church is growing. Um, I love the, the, uh, the church planting idea, uh, started to, and being able to be on the inside, uh, seeing how, how they do things was really exciting for me, getting a seminary degree and knowing that church work was where I was called, uh, long-term. So it, at that point, I just started to, to pray, Lord, where would you send me, Um uh, in my, My wife is from Cleveland. I'm from Huntington. And um, there's a we thought, you know, it it makes sense to be somewhere. It's like a midpoint uh, between us. We have easy access to both our families. Cincinnati and Columbus were both, um, you know, in that in that range. But we wanted to be in an urban environment. Um, I. Uh, my my thoughts on that have changed a bit since then but at the time being being uh, basically I was drinking the Kool-Aid in the city for the city and everybody was all hyped up about doing urban ministry so I was like okay that's what I want to do um so we're looking at you know what cities are uh would make sense I'm like midwestern rust belt kind of city and Cincinnati um made a lot of sense especially because as I connected with other ministry leaders and pastors that just seemed like the type of church that i wanted to plant there wasn't a whole lot of that sort of church around cincinnati and it seemed like an opportunity to to do something unique um so that's that's how we ended up here we kind of did a parachute church plant if you're familiar just like you don't know anybody you just kind of move in and see what happens trust god and share your faith and gather people and um it was
0: i read a book about that one time it's called Acts. anyway um (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah well i'm no apostle paul uh like i've, I've I certainly church planning will highlight your weaknesses like nothing else maybe maybe marriage will do it too but planning a church is like you realize just all the things you don't know and yeah. uh god has shown me that in abundance over the last few years yeah
0: well praise god i, I think uh we we love church planning we we obviously this is called the Rule church podcast but we've said many times like it's just because we don't have a lot of guys we feel like in our context that are talking, you know? And so we just, we, we like to talk and like I told you before the show, we, uh, Eddie and I just like the the excuse and the accountability to meet every week. You know, we're 90 minutes apart, really too far to try to meet in person. So we meet and, and able to talk about things that we find important. So we, we're grateful for what you're doing in, in Cincinnati and really, you know, i think this will segue us into the book but i can't help to but to to think about what happened last night and kind of as a pastor in ohio to kind of get your thoughts uh just walk us through real quick i know this is not coming out to december but you know what happened as far as the vote in ohio with abortion explain that to us a little bit and then um and and then i have some questions i think we'll get us into the book talking about that but 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 what happened last night what did the state of ohio end up deciding when it comes to the abortion issue
1: the state of ohio had a constitutional amendment on the ballot and in ohio the the constitution can be amended with a simple majority so they needed 51% of the vote or anything over 50% of the vote would would have passed this amendment and the amendment was to the, the, the net effect would be to make abortion at every stage of gestation a legal right and do so as a constitutional right, which puts it beyond the reach of judicial review. Um, so it is now a constitutional right in the state of Ohio to abort a child. So there, there is a distinction before viability, show up at Planned Parenthood and they'll get you an abortion. If the child is deemed viable, then there needs to be some medical necessity. Um, and the medical necessity is defined as the mother's life or health. And we know how the activists will define health. It's mental health. It's emotional health, whatever. Uh, health can be anything. And so that's after a child is viable. So partial birth abortion all the way up to the end. It's all it's not I mean, it's not legal, not merely legal. Um, it is a constitutional right because the amendment itself is called the right to reproductive freedom. I think is what it's called. Um, a lot of people were opposing it, vocal about it. I recorded videos and wrote articles and posted things on Twitter and stuff about it. Uh, our church has been praying for it, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of churches and leaders that were were opposing it as hard as we could. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the vote came in and. The people of Ohio, they they voted they voted in favor of this amendment, and there was a lot of misinformation too. And that I think a lot of people got duped by the emotional rhetoric, um, because all the the TV advertising would would focus would say things like, "Well, if you have an ectopic pregnancy, you know, you wouldn't be able to get medical treatment," or, Mm -hmm. you know, "If this, if you have some ten year old child who was who was raped, Mm -hmm. you know, she would be Mm -hmm. forced to carry this child." I mean, it was this very manipulative language and it, it played on people and they fell for it um but i mean the sad thing is and this is where the pastoral response to me it's a, it's abortion is is a crime it's tragic it's a um it, it is an absolute travesty we've had up until this point we've been able to blame roe v wade and say it's it's roe v wade's fault and yeah. and we've but now it's it's not roe v wade's fault. Roe v., like, god gave us a victory in overturning roe v wade and then um every state you know has its own decision to make and now the people we're we're voting murder into our own state and so pastorally that makes me sad for the babies that are being killed but it 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 is i mean it, it i feel i feel a little heavy-hearted about it um i'm hopeful I'm, uh but I'm, I, it, for the moment i'm heavy-hearted about it because people have voted for this. And yeah. I'm like, they're people who voted for this will have blood on their hands. They're yeah. they they will they will give an account to God for for supporting this. Um because yeah. they made it legal. I mean in our well, form of government, we bear the sword. Uh we are we're self governed. Yeah. So we bear the sword and man, we mishandled this one.
0: What was the percentage again? Did you say I can't you do not
1: I, I don't know the, uh, the, the polling that I saw with about 50% reporting yesterday was like 55, 45, something like that. Um, and they, they called it and once they called it, um, I turned it off and, yeah um, I, so I don't know what the final tally is. I, d- I honestly didn't have the heart to, didn't have the heart to look at it. I don't know. Yes.
0: So one of the things, and Eddie, you weigh in on this too. Like one of the things for us as a church, like we stopped giving to the cooperative program. You know we're we're still technically SBC in this in the sense that we haven't officially left the convention. However, um, it's 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 really something that I feel like the vast majority of our church we're just done with. We're just tired of playing. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I encourage these brothers that are fighting. And and Tom Askell I consider not just an acquaintance but a friend. And I love, I love Dr. Askell and, and founders and, you know, I'm appreciative what you guys are doing and other mutual friends that we have very, very grateful fight, fight the good fight. I think it's, I think it's a worthy fight in the SBC, but for us, you know, with things that we've been through and stuff, it was just exhausting me. And so it's just something that we've just, you know, felt like we can't give energy to. However, one of the things that led to that Of course, we have issues with the North American Mission Board and stuff. But one of the things pertinent to this conversation is the ERLC, Mm -hmm. where we felt like ultimately the ERLC was taking a stance on this specific issue, uh, you know, uh, on abortion that was actually in opposition. And I want to say, you know, I know that there are well meaning brothers and sisters who are in the pro life movement who would call themselves, hey, we're pro life you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that they're genuine believers. And I think that they really in their heart of hearts are trying to stand against abortion. However, that being said um, I think the pro-life movement as a whole has just shown itself insufficient when it comes to, you know, when it, when it comes to these uh, arguments and sometimes not only insufficient, I'm talking about best case scenario. There are some certainly within the pro-life movement, who don't want abortion to end because this is the way that they
2: make their money or whatever. That's but right.
0: I- I- anyway, Eddie, you want to add any, anything? To- you you
2: yeah. know, the only thing I would, I would add, and and Michael, it seemed like you were, you were saying this, um, but I, I feel like after Roe v. Wade, after the Dobbs decision, you know, that reversed that, I think a lot of us, and and I'll admit even myself, we kind of sat back. We maybe spent too much time celebrating while the other team got back and uh, slam dunked on the other end. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of said, Hey, we won and yeah. didn't realize that we're still in the game. You know, we needed to yeah. con- continue, um, continue seeking to support life and to proclaim the gospel and to help these women in distress um, not to become now, murderers of their mm-hmm. children and so yeah. i think i think some of this not just in ohio but all over our country is is a little bit on us for not continuing to be as as adamant as we were before the dobbs decision mm-hmm. about continuing to call people to repent of sin and to look to christ and and to save the lives of these children yeah
0: yeah and I know some people, <laughs> I just wanted to clarify, someone listening, like, wait, Quattro, are you not pro-life? Well, I'm very much for life. <laughs> However, right. I'm I'm for a consistent view on life, um, whether you want to call that being Abolition. an abolitionist. yeah. Or, mm-hmm. But the idea is I do believe biblically children in our country, all persons in our country should be afforded equal protection under the law. Um, that is if a child is murdered in the womb, I, I don't care how old this pre-born neighbor is. Mm-hmm. If they're murdering the womb there, there ought to be swift and serious consequences, just like we would, whether the child is one years old or, or, you know, one minute old or whatever you understand. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify those that might be listening wondering, but anyway, that brings us brother, because you, you actually did reference specifically in the introduction let let me talk about your book for a second (laughs) let me introduce that so we, we we invited you on brother because we want to support what you're doing is this your first book it is so uh michael clary god's good design a biblical theological and practical guide to human sexuality so god's good design a biblical theological and practical guide to human sexuality uh, I I would guess it's a big book. I would guess my my guess rough estimate is this maybe around like 60 thousand words or something. Is that 90 90 thousand? okay, good. that's good, brother. it's a it's a good it's a good size book. It's like 300 pages. Uh, but one of the things you talk about in your introduction and and the connection I want to make here too is you talk about uh, or in mm. in 2015 you talk about I uh, have that pulled up actually where where the gradually of our culture change became a suddenly talk about that a little bit talk about how your book ties in also with the abortion um connect all this together and just tell us you know why michael clary took the time because it's a lot of time and especially a ninety thousand word book it's a lot of time a lot of effort a lot of energy a lot of focus why'd you write this book
1: yeah the it's a readable book um you hear 300 pages 90,000 words um it's so it, it it's very thoroughly researched I'm, I'm i'm making a case and that's that's really the you know if you could use like the uh you know some of the the case for christ the case for i mean i it could be you could call it the case for biblical sexuality um and that's that's what i'm trying to do in this book um because i wanted to so i'm a pastor first and foremost i'm a pastor and there are people in my congregation that I love and I want to, um, I want mm-hmm. them to understand and not understand something, but also not be deceived about, about sexuality. And there's so much deception in the air. It's in our culture, it's everywhere. And it's per, ever, it's pervasive, it's a uh, constant, um, and it is very powerful, uh, just the, the deception and the lies. And I'm like, there has to be, we have to be able to oppose it. What i found was whenever you try to oppose or pre- oppose a negative view or promote a positive view without some of the un- without some of the foundation some of the presuppositions then it, it's it's not going to gain a lot of traction a lot of times there's a so i'd say with with abortion um if if you think abortion is a, if you think a, if you think it's well it's not really human um until the baby's born then if that's your presupposition then abortion it's going to be Abortion is going to be an easy case for you to, to make and to believe that. But if, if you believe this is a human life, then now you you're dealing with with a more a more full picture of why this is an evil thing. So I think with sexuality, it's the same thing. Because a lot of people that I talk to as a pastor, they they might see they'll see a verse in the Bible that says homosexuality is a sin, but they all of the presuppositions and assumptions of their life make that implausible or difficult to believe. Because they think, well, they just love each other. And you know, marriage is marriage and love is just about, you know, you know, our affection for one another. And, you know, why would God create somebody homosexual and things like this? Like they believe that God made a person this way because they've bought in, they've bought into all of the lies that the culture tells them. So I I wanted to have a, a single volume that would make the case that here's here is a it starts with God. Here is who God is. And here's god's purpose in creation and here's how sexuality fulfills that purpose in creation which glorifies god and then here's how that how god created us he created us as male and female and there's a there's a purpose in in maleness and there's a purpose in femaleness and then these things are are worked out because god has some grand design that is glorifying and good that he he created the universe to express and to fulfill you need all of those things as the as the under as the foundation for some of the specific teachings that you might get to in like, why is the husband, the head of his wife? Um, Why, you know, why wouldn't we just say singleness is just as good as marriage? Um, Why do men get to be the elders in the church? Why, you know, why do they get to be in charge? Um, Why is homosexuality a sin? Why would we oppose transgenderism? Um, All of those things need some prior foundation that is, supplying the mental framework for how we even understand scripture and engage these topics amen. Um, so that that that's the book it is a case god god is a father who is the the father over a cosmic household that that he 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 rules supreme over as an eternal father and then he created an earth where he would dwell with his people and this earth the the vision of the book of genesis chapter one and two where he created man and woman and he said um be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it so the 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 it's, it's kind of good. the wheels were set in motion at genesis 1 20, with the creation mandate dominion mandate that this planet would ultimately be filled with human beings created in god's image who are worshiping him for his glory um that's still god's goal that is God's goal right now, um, is one day this will be a renewed heavens and a renewed earth, and we will have human men and human women, eternally male, eternally female, in glorified physical bodies, filling this earth uh, for the glory of God. That's That was God's plan from the beginning. That's God's end game. Um, and the three of us as men, we have a particular calling and a vocation in that. And our wives as women, there is a particular vocation and a calling for them to fulfill. If we, if we miss that foundational piece, then some of the particulars we get into um, the questions that we probably run into all the time as pastors, um, things like, you know, uh, working mothers or, um, you know, why does a, why should a wife submit to her husband? Things like this. It's like, these are real world practical things that we run into all the time uh in ministry and I, I have found that a lot of people don't have the basic vocabulary to understand even it's like they, they don't have the prior knowledge to even begin the conversation yeah so that's what i wrote the book to be able to put it in it, it's something anybody in your church should be able to read if they're if they have just basically basic amount of biblical literacy um sunday school it's written at sunday school level uh so it's very accessible and it's very practical um a lot of pastoral care it, it's not the kind of thing that you would read as a pastor Think i agree with this but i could never give it to my church because it would, everybody would freak out and think i'm crazy it's something that i think any pastor can hand to a member of their church and say if you want to know why you know god's designed for sexuality here it is here, you know and even if even if you don't agree with all of it it's something that it could at least not freak your people out when they read it. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that we've lost in our arguments here are we, we've allowed kind of the culture to make this into, you're just trying to take us backward type thing. Mm -hmm. Like you're trying to take us to uh, either a time period where women really were harmed or abused or whatever the case may be. Or you're, or this is about taking us back to the 1950s. We don't want to be in the 1950s. We want to be in the 21st century. And you, and you even find that kind of rhetoric and language again, not to just this show today, isn't about bashing the SBC, but you find that kind of rhetoric and language in some of the arguments when it comes to the Southern Baptist convention, you know, and we've just got to meet the times and and those sorts of things. And so Mm -hmm. what I hear you saying, and what I know that your, your objective here is, and and Eddie, you weigh in here on this too, is this isn't about, this isn't about a time period. This is about an, an attack on human sexuality is it's not just preferential. It's actually assaulting the God who designed the sexes. Yeah. This is God's good design. And so when we, when we uh, distort and twist and get this wrong, when we just say, well, anything goes in the home, anything goes in the church, it doesn't matter about, you know, God's design. Then of course, people don't say it that way because they don't think, like you said, brother, they're not thinking in those categories. But ultimately what I'm trying to say is when we allow men in roles or doing things they shouldn't be doing, or women in roles or doing things they shouldn't be doing. This isn't ultimately about men and women. It goes past that to the God who made us, and so this is a this is a a, a lot bigger issue than some make. It. Anyway, I'm
2: rambling. Eddie, you got anything you want to jump in there? Well, yeah, Michael, you know, thinking about God's good design, it seems like the tip of the spear in the attack against God's good design in the day and age in which we live is the distinction that the world wants to make between biological sex and gender as Mm -hmm. maybe they would call it a construct so i just want to ask kind of how would you if, if 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 maybe an opponent you know a person that's not holding to a biblical worldview ask you that question or, or wanted to challenge you on that, how would you define a biblical view of biological sex and gender?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, if I were in an, if I were in a debate with somebody, I would, I, here's how I would respond to that. Knowing that they would not, they would, they would not be persuaded by this, but um, we'd have to begin with like, we're, we come, we come to this debate with different presuppositions and, um, my presupposition is that the word of God is true and eternal and infallible and inerrant. And so that, that is the foundation that I'm building on. However, we, we can also look to nature. And so I, I, I address this in the book, we have truth with a capital T and that is the word of God. And we have truth with a lowercase T, which is, um, you know, what things that we observe in nature that correspond with, with God's word. Um, so what, what I would say is, is, one, we are embodied souls. We see that in the book of Genesis where God created Adam and he became a living creature is what our Bibles will translate. Uh, the word there is soul. Uh, nefesh is the Hebrew word for uh, for soul, um, which at the very least, it gives some indicator that it's, it's not just here is some thing that happens to be alive. I mean, trees are living things, but there's something unique about man in that his embodiment he's he is a soul that is embodied so we we might that 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 is that is the biblical worldview what what the world is doing now is a renaissance of gnosticism and the gnostic idea is that you have an inner core of who you are and then you have this outer shell that is um that doesn't always correspond to who you are on the inside we didn't invent that in the 21st century that that was uh, a Gnostic idea that the early church had to deal with and the early church condemned it. Um, but the Gnostic idea is something that we hear all the time. So Gnostics taught material world is evil. It's corrupt. It's, it's bad. It's fallen. Um, so all material things are bad. What, what's really important and what's really good is the spiritual thing. And that's all the inside, the inner inner person. Um, so so a Gnostic, you know, the way that they would play this out in their, in their views, it's like you had some Gnostics that would abase the body, you know, they would kind of uh, do self that would kind of mutilate the body as a way of kind of punishing and purging this, this, uh, physical thing. Other Gnostics would indulge the body and they say, well, and, and Christians would do this. So Christians like, well, you know, the body's going to do what the body's going to do. Um, so It's not me having sex with this prostitute, it's my body having sex with a prostitute. The real me is this, you know, sanctified man because I'm I'm a spiritual being. The same idea is now happening in the modern world where you could say, Well, I'm Eddie. Now I'm you know, I'm I'm a man on the outside, but who I am on the inside is totally different. You know, people could say I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, or vice versa. Um, those are those are pagan ideas that mm. are, I mean, even yeah, yeah. You know, the ancient pagan religions. There are the goddess Ishtar um was in modern language, um, she would be considered transgender because Ishtar was a um was sexually, she would change. She could she could manifest as a male, manifest as a female. Um, and this was it's represented in you know, some of the you know the the pagan mythology around Ishtar, which is. Um, in the old Testament, um, I believe it's, I believe it's a fair connection of Ashtoreth. You see, um, Ashtoreth and the, um, you know, as, as, as one of the, the idols that the Israelites were tempted by, but it's a, it's, it's this sexual idea that who you are on the inside doesn't match who you're on the outside. So whenever somebody says gender and sex are different things, I say gender is a social construct and sex is a biological thing. And, um, I would say, well, you are rebelling against reality um your body tells you uh your, your body gets gets is a de- is the determinative factor um but people say well sex is assigned at birth or we're not going to assign sex at birth and I, I mean I knew some parents I mean this is the most insane thing you know I hear of these really crazy liberal parents that will um' say well I'm not going to assign a, a gender to my child my my uh, you know whenever they're you know, as as they grow up, you know they'll they'll figure it out for themselves. Um, I mean that that is that is insane. Um, good godly parents train their children from the very earliest ages to um, there's certain ways that that's good for boys to behave, and there's certain ways for girls to behave. And then we we train them virtuous life, holy life that is somewhat determined by their sex. And that's a good thing because we learn to live as adults, as men and women, that have you know these distinctions being a good thing. Um, but the world is just re- it, it's rebelling against all those things. I'll stop. I'll stop rambling Nuts. now. But no, <laughs>
0: well, that's a, oh, that's a great, brother. It's great. And you know, one of the things that I try to communicate here is when the serpent, when when Satan made his attack in the garden. He doesn't go to Eve because it's just like, oh well, she's dumb, you know. I mean, <laughs> like she is a she is a worthy image bearer, uh, created in the image of God to, to 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 fulfill her roles. But he goes to Eve for a specific purpose. In the garden, he is reversing the very created roles that God has made: man first, then woman. Adam headship over the woman. I mean, like satan is turning all that and that's some people may you maybe you've not thought about it that way before but that that's exactly like there is there is a purpose to satan's attack here Mm -hmm. and so all i'm trying to say is from the beginning god has had this good design in the in the created um roles of male and female and from the beginning uh satan has sought to thwart that and to invert that and All we're doing today is seeing that, you know, played out. Mm -hmm. That's what feminism is. One more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the things I I did want to get to. Chapter 10, you you talk about sexual dynamics in the church. By by the way, I I did want to mention this, too. Brother, you've got some great endorsements here. Michael Foster, C. R. Wiley, Megan Basham. That's wonderful, brother. You've got some great, some great folks that are kind of on the front lines of these mm-hmm. things. That have yeah. read your book and said, "Hey, this is something you need to read." So again, if um, I, I, I commend the book. But you you have this quote. It's on two forty three from William and Barbara Mauser. Men who are led in the church by women are less than men. Women who lead men in the church. Are less than women and that's going to do it for part one you'll have to tune in next time to part two to get my answer michael's answer eddie's answer on this quote as we continue the conversation about god's good design of gender roles and specifically next episode what that looks like in the local church thanks for joining us on this week of the rural church podcast catch you guys next week If you really believe
1: the church is the building the church is the house the church is what God's doing
0: this this is his work if we really believe what Ephesians says we are the poemos the masterpiece of God How are you going to respond